0: Well, what a blessing it's been this morning to sing together and praise our wonderful Lord and Savior. And it's so great to see you today. It's my privilege to uh, welcome to our pulpit this morning, Pastor Ken Nabby. Pastor Ken is the president of Converge Great Lakes District. And uh, so he is uh, what I like to refer to as a pastor to pastors. Uh, as well as to our churches. Um, Throughout my years uh, that I've served as a senior pastor, and even going back to a youth pastor, I've had four different district presidents. Uh, All of them have uh, been friends of mine. They've been a great blessing to me and a resource that I could turn to and a pastor to pastor me uh, during uh, very important times in my life. Of of all four, uh, Ken will appreciate this, Uh, He is the only one that's been younger than me. And uh, so I know that'll encourage him this morning. And so we are delighted that he can be with us and bring the Word of God to us and so thankful for not only his friendship but what he does in our district with all of our churches. And so, Pastor Ken, thank you and welcome.
1: Well, I am so glad to be younger than somebody. It's a great delight to be here with you, and I'm honored, uh, especially on Father's Day. I had to get my wife's permission of when we talked about this a couple of months ago. Is it okay if I'm up with uh, Pastor Brian and, and the church there in Marquette, and she gave me her blessing uh, to be here with you? By the way, I mean, I love your pastor. He's such a good man, and I don't know if you realize uh, just how blessed you are to have a pastor who's who has loved you and served you, while at times, imperfectly, he has his love for you is genuine, and I know. I speak for you when I say, Pastor Brian, you're going to be dearly missed. And uh, next week, let's live it up, right? Uh, you can. You can finally say all the things you wanted to say, but weren't sure you could get away with it. You do that next uh, next Sunday. I, I I do love your church and been praying for you and excited about this next chapter of ministry and life, and, and um, Pastor Brian would be the first ones to tell you this isn't his church, right? Amen? This is Christ's church, and he has a plan and a purpose for you. He has a, he knows what this next chapter is supposed to be like, and he wants to unfold that here in your midst, and you stay faithful. You can miss Pastor Brian and, and love him from a distance, but you stay focused on Christ. This is his church, and it's his will. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If I could have, this is kind of a, on Father's Day this seems fitting. Men, just listen up for a second. I need a little bit of confession opportunity here. How many of you are willing to raise your hands and say, yep, I have watched HGTV? Okay, we got a few manly men in here. There's a lot of liars going on or number of years ago, there was a show that came on HGTV that I finally found fascinating. Uh, you know, his biceps there, look, you might think that's me at first. That's not me, that's uh, Mike Holmes. He started this, uh, this uh, home uh, construction process where he would come in, if uh, the contractor who had been there, they were messing things up, stuff not done to code, uh, all, all the things just kind of going wrong, he comes in and he points out what's been done wrong. They do all the demo, they play rock music while they're doing the demo, and uh, he's got these big biceps and so forth, and, and it's kind of a manly HGTV uh, show. And it's kind of catchy, his name is Mike Holmes, and so he, he's Holmes on Holmes. And in the course of the show, he has this phrase that he he uses often. He says, let's make it right. And that has kind of a double meaning when he's talking about it. He's saying, okay, if we find something that's done wrong, let's make it right. But he also uh, emphasizes that while we're building it, we want to make it right. We want to do it the right way. And, And he emphasizes over and over just the small things really matter. You can't skip over the small things when you're doing construction. We want to make it right. And I think in a lot of ways uh, this is true for us in life. So he, he points out, you know, if the if the drywall guy slaps the drywall over the electrical box before the electrician has done what he needs to do, you have a series of electrical problems, right? If the if the plumber cuts corners when they're sweat fitting the joints You you can have leaks and then structural problems, and on and on the list goes. The little things, the small things, build up. They matter. They they make a difference, especially as you put these things together. And this is not only true in home construction. This is true in life. You know, if you learn to communicate well, you, you will build a relationship that's robust and honest and vital and so forth. If you learn to manage money and and live on a budget, and you do that well, then you will build for yourself a a financial future. So this isn't only true in construction, it's true in life, and it's it's also true in the church. The church is a combination, a collection of hundreds and hundreds of little bitty things woven together into one glorious, glamorous whole. A lot of people in church, a lot of people assume their voice is so small, they're just one person, this is just a small gift, a lot of people can come to believe that it maybe doesn't matter that much. Some folks think, maybe you've thought this at times, you know, if I, if I walked away, would anybody ever even notice? But it's the small things all built together that make up the whole. And every voice, every person matters. And we're going to see this as we look at our main text today in 1 Peter 2, that that God is building, that's the metaphor in 1 Peter 2, he's building a temple, a people for himself. And it's rich with symbolism and metaphor and uh, entire books have been written on these few verses in 1 Peter 2 that we're going to be looking on. It's all about temple reconstruction. Peter is the apostle to the Jewish uh, people. He's having he's the Jews understand who Jesus is as the Messiah and what God intends. And so he uses the Old Testament. He uses this temple illustration and metaphor to drive home this profound truth about what God aims to do in and through his people here and now. So if you have your Bibles, follow along, First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. I'm going to read from the ESV. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious the, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people For his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pause there. Let me ask God to speak to us. Father, we thank you for your word and for its truth. And we pray now that you would speak to us, that you would cause your word to come alive in our hearts and our minds, stir within us a fresh new sense of conviction and commitment and understanding to what you intend. We love you. God, speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Put on the screens there my kind of core point, my main idea, is that every follower of Jesus has a place and a purpose in Christ's church. Every follower of of jesus has a place and a purpose in christ's church and i want to talk to you a little bit about your identity from a biblical framework the, the bible uses a variety of different metaphors when it describes uh, a jesus in in all of his different roles and ways he's called the chief shepherd he's called a counselor he's the son of man he's the author of life he's the bread of life he's the advocate and here today, he's called the cornerstone by Peter. This is construction metaphor language. He's talking about the Old Testament temple, but he's, he's modernizing it into the New Testament understanding uh, in light of the revelation of Jesus. The Father is building a new and living temple, and he's building it on the foundation of his son Jesus he is the cornerstone, Peter says. Look at how Peter uses this stone language in a couple of different ways. Verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone to him is Jesus. Verse 6, Peter quotes the Old Testament. We'll talk more about this in a moment. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Verse 7 is the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. All of this language about stone is a building metaphor. It's as if the Father is saying, I am building my church, and I'm going to make it right. The the pride of the Jewish people was that their temple, that that God dwelled in the temple, and Peter is saying the temple of God is being built now with people on the foundation of Jesus. He, he, he. Is the foundation of it all. Cornerstone is the very first stone that goes in place. It, it had to be true in any number of ways. It had to be plumb and it had to be square when you were building a, a, a design of some kind. And if it wasn't plumb and it wasn't square, you would have problems as things unfolded and built up on that cornerstone. Jesus is the very foundation. He's the very cornerstone of the people of God. He's living. It's not just a a temple of static, dead stone. No, this is a temple of people being assembled together on the foundation of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the prophets began to understand this. They had a a kind of prophetic expectation. They use uh, this stone reference, and Peter references it. He quotes it in three different ways here in this passage. There are three stone references. We're gonna just do a quick stone tour or rock tour through the Old Testament. The rock tour, it's a, it's a little bit corny, but you follow me, right? Pastor Brian, do you ever do corny jokes here? I hear you have a good reputation for that kind of thing. So we're gonna do a rock tour through a couple of Old Testament references. The first one that Peter quotes is Isaiah twenty-eight. I think it's verse 16, which is a judgment passage. God is going to tear down his people, and he's going to rebuild them on a solid foundation. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 6, quoting Isaiah, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And Isaiah is, is prophetically anticipating that the stone will be a person now peter's taking that prophecy and he's applying it to jesus and the next peter quotes psalm 118 verse 22 which gives uh, again this voice of anticipation and expectation of how they would how they would respond to this new rock first peter 2 7 quoting psalm 118 the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. And now, quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This has got a sting to it. Because the readers in 1 in Peter here know that Jesus was rejected by his own people. They yelled, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was the stone and they had rejected him. And that's what Peter is laying out here. has a sting to it. Now the next quote comes from Isaiah 8, verse 14. And this one makes clear that Jesus is a stone that will in some ways bring judgment. He says he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That is, if you reject Jesus, and do life your own way, he will crush you under the weight of his sovereign rule. He is a humble, gentle Savior, but he is not to be trifled with. He is to be taken seriously. And so all this prophetic expectation in the Old Testament developed this understanding that one day God would send a Messiah who would lay a new foundation uh, for God's people. And this would be the right, true foundation. It's as if the Father is saying, like Mike Holmes would say, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right. And so we have the prophet Zechariah, chapter 10, verse 4. From Judah will come the cornerstone. Anybody know what tribe Jesus was born from? The tribe of Judah. And so we have in the book of Revelation, looking back, describing Jesus. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. So Jesus is the hub of it all. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. Everything in the New Testament church is built on him. There's no other cornerstone approved by God. That's what Peter's saying. He is it. Jesus is. Is it. And so back in verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God, precious to him. Now let me say it this way, kind of candidly. This is the foundation for God's people. There's no other. Jesus is it. And if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a a follower, if you want to be a Uh, In relationship to God, you cannot go around Jesus. He is it. You must deal with Jesus. If you're at all curious about Christianity, it starts with understanding who Jesus is and what he did. He is it. And, and, And if you're here today or you're online and you've been kind of playing around the edges or curious but unconvinced, I'm just telling you today, deal with Jesus. Deal with Jesus. He's where it all begins. And you can settle it today, right? If you've, if you've been curious but not convinced, you can ask the Father to change your heart, to give you faith, power, and courage to repent and live the Christian life. But, but it starts at the feet of the very corner, the cornerstone, the very foundation, Jesus, the Messiah. Now watch what Peter does with this metaphor. He's not only the foundation and the cornerstone, but he's assembling a temple with living stones. Again, construction metaphor. And this gets at your identity in that living structure. Go back to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but on the side of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are living stones. Jesus is alive, and the temple that he is assembling is built not with a granite, Or some other kind of stone is built with living stones, with people, the souls and hearts and lives of people. Before Jesus, you were just a rock. But in Jesus, you're a living stone. And this is why we get this temple metaphor fleshed out that that Peter begins to describe in some, in some detail. You're not just a living stone. This is actually... a a spiritual house that God is assembling. It's your identity as a follower of Christ. In the Old Testament, remember, God's presence dwelled in the temple. If you wanted to interact with God the Father, you had to go to the temple and through a priest and that whole process. But in the New Testament, the the spirit of the Father resides in your head, in your heart, your soul, the, the totality of who you are. And you're alive, you're a living stone being assembled. And and he goes on to say, you're a royal priesthood. It's not just a a static building that's being designed, it's actually alive with ministry. You're a royal priesthood. This was revolutionary to the Jewish mindset. I mean, they they were so used to, if, if you wanted to go to the temple, you had to connect with the Levites, the priests came from one tribe only, the Levite tribe, the Levitical tribe. If you wanted to interact with the Father, you had to go through a priest in order to do that. A priest basically did two things in the Old Testament. A priest represented the people uh, by, by accepting their sacrifices and their prayers and that process and brought them before God. But a priest also represents God to the people by helping them understand his way and his word and the life that he calls them. This is a twofold purpose of the, of the priest in the Old Testament. But guess what? That's your purpose too. In a very real sense, Peter's saying that you, now with faith in Jesus, you come before God. You don't go through anybody except for Christ alone. And you can represent your own heart before him, and you can represent him to others you're saying now that faith in Jesus is it it's, it's the foundation for doing life with God and so Paul says to Timothy 1 Timothy 2:5 there's one God there's one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus if you're an old testament jewish person listening and understanding this is a game changer it's a, it's a paradigm-shattering discovery that the Old Testament temple was a, a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do in and through his people. Maybe you've seen these, um, these pictures where they, they assemble a bunch of little pictures of either pi- a people or like a, a tile of some sort, and the assembling of all the little pieces makes this bigger picture. It's called a mosaic. In a lot of ways, that's what God is doing with his people. He's building this mosaic, a construction of all these individual people, their lives, a living stone, their hearts, a living stone, a a priesthood representing God in various ways. God is building a mosaic. The church is a living mosaic, if COVID taught us anything, one of the things that he taught us is that it doesn't matter, doesn't matter where we assemble, but that we assemble, right? The building is not the church, right? Come on, church, say amen. The building is not the church. It's the people assembled together because Christ lives in his people. And we are a, a holy priesthood coming together. It's a mosaic that God is developing. Now, I suspect most of you have heard this. Pastor Brian's a great teacher. He's been here a long time. But if you haven't, you should know this, that one of the hallmarks of the Protestant church is called the priesthood of the believer. It was a hallmark in the Reformation as the Reformers sought to uh, recapture and clarify what the true church was and this was a revolutionary truth in the Reformation, that, that you didn't need to go through a priest in order to interact with God. That in Christ, you are a priest. It was, it was revolutionary in the Reformation, and Protestantism has affirmed it over and over again. You are a priest before God. You don't need to go through any mediator other than Jesus. And maybe some of you grew up in the Catholic environment where you're basically taught that you couldn't, you couldn't bring your own heart and head directly to the Father. You had to go through someone else. But we believe from passages like 1 Peter 2 that no, you are a priest. God has assembled a nation of priests, a people before him. Martin Luther helped make this clear and the Protestant church has affirmed it over and over again, it's called the priesthood of the believer, and every one of you should know about it. Occasionally, occasionally, people will uh, come up to me. This is especially true when I was a pastor after the service, and they'd ask me to pray for them. And I love praying for people, but sometimes the implied message was, "Can your prayer carries a little more weight with God than mine?" I go, "No, that's not true." I mean, the prayer of a righteous man avails much, right? But but we all have access to the Father. Pastor Brian's prayer, or my prayer, or one of your elders' prayer, doesn't have some special magic formula. We all, if you're a follower of Jesus, can come before God directly. Maybe you saw this in the news um, a week and a half ago, or so it was major uh, in American media, but the 96-year-old queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, reigned for 70 years. The longest ever monarch um, forever. The Platinum Jubilee, they called it. Now, truthfully, we Americans, we really don't understand all that stuff, right? I mean, from a distance, we look at it and say, yeah, whatever. But to the To the Brits, man, it's a big deal. The queen is to be respected and honored and revered. She is royalty. They spent millions and millions of dollars honoring her and her tenure. They revere her. They honor her. If you don't know, she's actually the head of the Anglican Church. The monarch is the head of the Anglican Church. Now, despite all the royal dysfunction... (laughs) you know anything about the royalty that they they love their queen in a very real sense what peter is teaching here you and i in christ are royalty because we're the son or the daughter of the king we are a royal priesthood not just any old second rate priesthood we're a royal priesthood we are the son and the daughter of of the king you're a prince and a princess before god and truthfully so often so often i think we 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 see ourselves as average we we don't recognize and value our identity in christ we worry as if everything is up to us come on now somebody say amen right we bargain and we argue like our reality is ultimately in our hands. Our destiny is ours. We compromise for the praises of people. And in so doing we trivialise our position in God's kingdom. Church, you're a royal priesthood. A king. You're the you're you're the son or the daughter of the king. Sometimes, when I'm counseling people and we're talking about whether it's self esteem issues or self confidence or self perception issues, I come to this truth because I want people to really understand and feel this reality that you are precious and special as a follower of Christ. And maybe there's somebody here today. Maybe you need to hear that today. I'm not second rate. I'm not something that doesn't matter. If I walked away, it would be a loss. Listen, you're a a priest in the kingdom of God. A royal priesthood is being assembled on the foundation of Jesus. And because of the absolute grace and love of God, our creator, this is your new identity. You are not average in any way. Once you understand your identity you can begin to live in that. We talk about being forgiven, adopted, justified, redeemed and transformed. That's just a it's a variety of theological ways to say you are now the son or the daughter of a king. And you should live in and enjoy that reality. That's what Peter's laying out for the purpose of the priesthood and service to God. Your identity determines your place because when you know your purpose, it directs your activity, the things that you do, how you live. According to this passage, there are two two basic fundamental purposes that you have been given. As a royal part of God's family, the first one is to declare the praises of God. Verse 9, that you may declare the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness. Remember, I told you what the purpose of the priest is? He's, he's, he's to bring people, uh, to their presence, to, to God the Father. That's, in the New Testament, that's an expression of praise, to honor God. That's one of your central purposes is to honor and adore and worship and and, and bring your heart before Christ. Peter is proud to be a follower of Jesus. He's thrilled to take this newfound identity and express it in praise and adoration. The church should be a fire of passion and praise. You can declare praises with the way you speak. You just think about it. Air out of your lungs, over your vocal cords, and out your mouth, and you can bring honor and praise to the Father. Now, some of us don't do that on pitch, right? You should say amen now for sure right there. But it's about what happens in our heart that makes that emulate out as praise. The whole life Is an act of worship. Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. All of who you are is an expression of praise. That's your activity. But that's not all that we're called to. The second purpose, at least the second purpose, is to point to Jesus in the way you live. Go back to verse 11, chapter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. What Peter said then is still true today. The way we live our life gives evidence to the reality of who Jesus is and that he still changes the human heart. We bring praises to the Father, and we bring evidence of him to those who are far from him. You and I are to live among those who are far from God, who maybe dismiss him for any variety of reasons. And we're supposed to live in such a way that they should look at us and say, I don't know what it is, but there's something fundamentally different that I find appealing, curious, interesting how do we accomplish that by being a changed person under the lordship of jesus you and i are to live a different kind of life the greater good of god flows in and through us and changes what we love and how we live this is your identity determining your place Setting in motion your activities as a part of the kingdom. You're a new family of living stones, royal priesthood assembled together to build up the church. That's the twofold purpose: to bring praises to God, to the one who redeemed you, and to represent him to those who are maybe far from him and don't know about him. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but that's a lot like. The new commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the great commandment in essence as we live out this royal priesthood. Now listen to me, Bethel. You are the church. And every one of you, no matter how small or how seemingly insignificant, everyone is being assembled together. You matter. You matter to this church. If you're too busy to get involved in some way, it's like the drywall guy slapped the drywall right over the electrical box and nobody noticed. No, we need you present and involved and engaged. If you call this your church home, and you're on the sidelines, get involved. If you've been waiting to be invited, consider this your invitation. Pastor Brian, is this, Pastor Brian invites you too. One of the things, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this message to you, let, let me tell you about the fear of a pastor. Pastor Brian uh, finishes well, runs across the finish line takes a breather, and he, and he prays for and he starts to worry about his church. And the statistics are that a bunch of people drift. Not a lot, 10, 15, sometimes 20%. They go, ah, I don't know who's preaching today. We'll check something out online. Or we'll go visit that church we've been curious about. You say, no, if this is your church home, This is where you call home, get involved, get engaged, no matter who your senior pastor is. Pastor Brian, you should say amen to that, right? No matter who the senior pastor is, this is (laughs) this is God's church, right? Christ is the head, and he has a purpose and a plan for you that he wants to accomplish Not only through Pastor Brian's leadership and and administration and counsel, but through whomever stands here in the next year, the next five years, and should God tarry, you know, for decades on. This community needs this church, doesn't it? The community here needs to know about the love of Jesus. That's why you're here. It's one of the reasons. So we need you to be healthy and vital and vibrant. And thinking about surrounding communities and how we can start some new works and expansion and so forth. Not only here in this region, but maybe beyond through church planting or missions or any number of other things. Listen, the Apostle Peter is saying to the people of that day and to us here today, church, you're a royal priesthood, a kingdom built on the very foundation of jesus and your identity flows your purpose flows from your identity in christ and you matter we have to do it right for the sake and the purpose of what god intends amen all right let's pray together father thank you for your love thank you for your word and the truth of it how it's still so amazingly relevant thank you so much for Pastor Brian, his leadership and tenure here, what a a good, godly shepherd you have given to this, your church. But there's more ahead. And so, Father, I pray for this, your people, that they would realize that and embrace it. And as as they grieve through the process of Pastor Brian moving on to his next chapter and this church moving into its next chapter, God, give them courage to believe, give them certainty of faith, to engage and get involved so that this, your people, would be a royal priesthood assembled giving great affirmation and praise to who you are and giving evidence of who you are to this community and this region and beyond of the goodness of Jesus. We pray this all together in Christ's name. Amen. All of you princes and princesses of the king